Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, everybody. My name is Jason. I'm a sexaholic uh, here in San Diego, California. I want to address this talk to everybody, but especially to anyone who's relatively new here, and especially to Jeremy. I understand from what you said that this is your first meeting, so welcome. Welcome to a new way of life. I hope you find what you're looking for here. I really do. So the topic that uh, came up is uh, this business of getting sober, staying sober. And uh, really, the that's the short version of it. The long version of it is staying sober, human power, excuse me, getting sober, human power, staying sober, higher power. So I'll try and give you a little background on myself and, and how, how I came to be in a place where I could not just get sober, but stay sober. Because I could get sober, but I could not stay sober. And that was, um, that was a rude awakening, you know, I came into SLAA in 1987, could not even get sober there, came into SA and left there and then came into SA in 91, couldn't get sober because I couldn't accept any human help. I couldn't accept anything. I was just so far gone. So. After about five or six months there, I left and I said, uh, you know, I'll just uh, I'll just pretend to my wife. I'll just lie to her and tell her that I'm sober all the time and I don't need meetings anymore and don't need recovery anymore. I got it down. And that was all changed. And uh, on a Saturday morning in 96, when she asked me if I had been acting out at all, and I, uh, I came back to SA and got a sponsor. And I did the things that I heard in the meetings that I should be doing to get sober. And I honestly still think that the things that I was told to do to get sober are really, really valuable when first coming in. Like I heard, go to a meeting every day for a while, maybe 90 days. So I started doing that because I recognized that I was not well, that I was, it wasn't just a matter of that I was acting out, that I was insane, that I, I, I needed to be around people who were either sane or were working towards becoming sane. I heard, get a sponsor. So I got a sponsor. I got a really good guy to be my sponsor, someone who had a pretty good grasp of, of a lot of recovery, but not all of it um, at the time. Um, phone list, make calls. I was told to call people, especially when I felt like I needed to act out. So I made calls. I was availing myself of human power. Very helpful for first getting started. Um, I was going to meetings, making phone calls. I had a sponsor. 
get some service positions. I, I got service positions in many meetings that I went to. Let's see what else. Share at the meetings. Share what's really going on. I did that. Daily sobriety renewals was what came up next because I was having trouble. I couldn't get 30 days. I'd been around for maybe a few months and I couldn't get 30 days. So my sponsor had just heard about these daily sobriety renewals. I think they were relatively new at the time in 96. I'm not certain of that. Don't quote me on that. But it was very helpful because every day I would commit to recovery, talk about what was going on with myself in terms of lusting, boundaries, um, resentments, fears, etc., things that I was trying to work towards. It was really, really helpful. That's actually when I started getting sober. And I started going through the steps with my friend. And uh, I got sober for four years. I was sponsoring people. I was becoming somebody in the local SA meetings. That's a very dangerous thing to do, become somebody in recovery. But I did it. Served uh, in the intergroup. I did a lot of things that would that were helpful for me in being sober for a while, but I didn't know something. I didn't know something that is vital information for, an, for a person to come to learn. I knew about the allergy of the body. I knew that once I started, I was going to do more and more and more, and it was going to be hell to pay to get back out of that, that uh, excuse me, about of that spree that I was in. But what I didn't know and I didn't learn about until much, much later is that if I still have an obsession, I will relapse eventually. I don't know when. It's like I said, I went for four years and I really thought I'm doing everything right. And time away from that last drink means I ain't going to have a next drink. And I was a good little essay doing everything right in my mind, but I didn't realize at the time, you know, it's like, I don't want to quote too much from the book, but if you go to page 24, it's got some really good information. I didn't know that uh, the fact is that for reasons yet obscure, I had lost the power of choice. I couldn't choose against lust when it would hit. So-called willpower became practically non-existent. I was unable at certain times. And what those certain times were like, you know, to bring into my consciousness, just how bad this is. Like people say, well, just think through the next drink. But if I could think through the next drink, what do I need recovery for? I just need to think through the next drink. And what I found out was that exactly what they said here, I have no defense against the first drink. Time doesn't, doesn't do it. Sponsorship doesn't do it. In fact, on page 43, you know, I won't be lecturing from the book too much, but it says, except in a few rare cases, neither Jason nor any other human being can provide his defense. My defense must come from a higher power. So how do you go from getting sober, which can be relying on, on, on really, really vital things that I still think need to be continued to this day, but how do I move from that? to staying sober. 
I found out that it's not enough to be sober. I'm still finding that out to a certain extent. What I'm finding is, is that I need to recover. Now, the big book says that actually you can recover. You don't have to be recovering all your life. So, wow, what's that all about? How can I go from, from recovering to recovered? I had found that I had to take the 12 steps pretty thoroughly. Because it was not enough. It's not enough to be sober for me. Two things happen when I'm just sober. And one of those things is that I eventually relapse. And I don't know when, I don't know how. I just know that it's coming along. The other thing that comes along with it is that while I'm sober, I'm still restless, irritable, and discontented. I'm still ill at ease with myself, with humans, with my life circumstances. And I can't shift that. I can't make that shift go from restless, irritable, and discontented. It's on page XXVIII of your big book if you want to look at that. I needed to have a psychic change, and I had no idea. I really, really thought being sober was well, even though I made it very clear that sober is not well. And what I found, and I'm continuing to find, believe me, this is a work in progress, man. This is not a kind of deal. I'm finding that I need I need a higher power in my life. I need to turn my will and my life over to that higher power. Become a channel of thy. So to stay sober, it's not enough to it, it if I try and manage my sobriety you know, by going to meetings and making calls and doing all that stuff. Some of the time that's going to help. I, I, I one time I called my sponsor at one in the morning. I was on the verge of acting out. And he, he, he had, by connecting with him, it brought that back down to where I didn't have to do it that night. But, you know, I can't count on that. I can't count on that someone's going to answer. In fact, I can't count on that I'm even going to make the call. You know, truth be told. Something had to change. Something really had to change. And in, in, uh, like I said, I've been an essay with any seriousness since 96. In around May of 2019, I was sober in both programs, this and the beverage program, for a good long while. And I was absolutely miserable. And I just, I wanted, I wasn't suicidal in terms of I'll kill myself, but I was asking God pretty regularly to end this life for me that I just, I can't do this anymore. There, there was that futility of living, that being at the jumping off point. And I looked at my life and I looked and I said, you know, if I go back to drugging, I'm a pothead and get start drinking again and start acting out and lusting actively and doing all this stuff. I could see that's that's not going to that's not going to make anything better. It's just going to make it worse. But I was also looking at what I thought was recovery and looking at that and going, but nothing's happening over here either. And 
that's a pretty tough place when the drugs, you know, the drugs won't work. And you also know that what you think recovery is, isn't working for you either. I was actually in a much worse state than I consciously knew. I don't think I realized how messed up I was, how much danger I was in. I really don't. So, luckily, about that time, I had been uh, introduced to a big book study. I highly recommend a good big book study. It can be very helpful. I know we have some people on the call that do those. It's very helpful. And through that, I met this guy out in Memphis, Tennessee, who's an AA guy who had recovered. And he's not like how I was. And uh, I met him. We, we sponsored entirely by phone and by things like this where we could see each other. Even the, the seeing each other didn't come until the fourth step. We just talked on the phone. And what I began to see was that my obsession of the mind, which is uh, not subject to consciousness, I can't see it. It's like an iceberg. I can maybe see the tip, but I can't really see the full thing. That it was running my life that it was running the show on me. And that there's nothing that I can do about that. And my sponsor introduced me to the idea that that's actually what it is to be powerless. It's, it's not what happens in the body, the physical allergy, the body can be easily handled. Just don't lust and you won't have that reaction. I'm allergic to some foods, I just don't eat them. I can't drink coffee. I have an allergic reaction to coffee, which I absolutely love. But I'll tell you the difference. Coffee, which gives a buzz, so it can be classified as a drug. I like it a lot, but I don't have anything in my mind that says maybe under these conditions it would be a good idea or a strange mental blank spot where I don't even know that I'm drinking coffee. It just doesn't happen to me. My mind works okay. I have a, a, an effective mental defense against taking the first drink of coffee. I don't do it. But I have no mental defense that's effective consistently 100% of the time with the first drink of lust. And I remember fighting that because when, when, uh, when uh, this guy was taking me through the steps, I remember I was thinking, mm, let's see what's my time. Okay. Um, I kept hearing from him and this other woman that was doing these, this workshop that it was inevitable that I would return to, to drink. Well, they were drinking because as alcoholics, that's kind of a secondary addiction for me, but still a bad one. But I thought, just, you know, that can't be true. I'm sober now. I've been sober. And then as I looked at it, I thought, Jason, you need to start paying attention to what's going on in real time instead of looking back on this history, which has been useful and helpful. But look at real time. And I realized... I can't keep myself from lusting. I can't prevent that. I, I don't currently act out, but lusting, I was taking lust hits. And our, our true definition of sobriety is true, true recovery includes progressive victory over lust, and I wasn't having that. And there's nothing I can do to fix that. That's the first step. The first step is complete defeat. Jason, you are not going to recover on your own power. 
and your sponsor can't recover you and all your friends in recovery can't recover you. And if you don't have a psychic change, a complete change in my personality, at least sufficient to overcome that obsession, then I'm not going to recover. But I was also told that, look, it says on page 58, big book, it says, rarely have we seen the person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. But it also says, if you take a few words out, rarely have we seen a person who has thoroughly followed our path. And I had not thoroughly followed the path. So therefore, I was failing. Because I was trying to use a failed system, a system that doesn't work. A system where something that's not me is telling me what to think and what to do and what to believe and where to go and how to act. And I was not actually behind the driver's wheel at any time. I was actually in bondage, locked up, thrown in the back of the trunk, going on Mr. Toad's wild ride wherever, wherever he wanted to take me. So I took the steps for real. For real. And it took about, we were on the first step for about somewhere between three and four months. Because it's not enough for me to take the steps up here. I can get them up here and understand them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. For sure. And then I'll go and look inside in here and go, have I conceded this in my innermost self of, of personal defeat? Someone's trying to call me. No. And I made an amazing discovery. This is amazing to me. It may not be amazing to anyone else, but I made this amazing discovery or God delivered it to me or whatever. But uh, I discovered that I do not have the power to take the first step. I thought it was up to me to take the first step. It is up to me to do a lot of work to prepare the acceptance of the first step. But what I'm finding, I found it and I'm still finding it, is that it is necessary for God to make it possible for me to accept the first step, the full consequences of the whole thing. Now, that just really blew my mind when I realized the powerlessness means I have no power because I have something telling me what to think, what to do, where to go, how to act, how to behave, what to eat, what to look at. It's not good news. So we took about three or four months on step one. Then step two was a mind-blowing experience to find out that uh, what I thought was God was really just my mind telling me shit, pardon my French, <laughs> telling me things. And like it says on page uh, 57, that I'm, I'm here to find out, I'm here to let God disclose God to me. I'm not here to tell God what God is. My job in the second step is to start having my mind I'll examine all my old ideas about God and about religion, about spirituality, and cast them, let them be set aside, let God set aside them for me so that I can have a brand new experience with God. And I don't get to be in charge of that at all. I get to be only the receiver of whatever God wants to show me about God in God's time. And so we went through the rest of the steps, the decision. Helped me to realize the decision more than anything was the decision to find out what was blocking me from that power and somehow find a way to have it removed. Did the fifth step after the fourth, etc. You get the picture.
And I didn't know whether it had worked. I didn't know whether it made any changes because in a lot of ways, I still felt the same. And I thought the spiritual awakening is going to be, wow, you know, like an acid trip or something. I don't know, something crazy. But here's what it was like for me. I see I'm just about at the end of my 20 minutes. Okay. Um, I woke up one morning. I was doing my meditation in the morning. It's very important, these disciplines of steps 10, 11, and 12, to maintain, maintain sobriety, maintain God connection, get real with myself of where I'm at. But I'm sitting one day, I think it was when I was doing my morning meditation for 20 minutes. And I just looked around and I said, something is missing. What is it? Something is missing in me. And I looked around and I go, that feeling of restless, irritable, and discontent, that anxiety, that nervous disposition wasn't there. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Because I've never been able to have that go away. Since young age, restless, irritable, nervous, performance, got to get good grades, got to do this, got to look good, all that shit, you know, and I looked and I went, wow. And then later on, I asked myself, if that stuff is missing, what's there in its place? And I started to realize, I think that's, for me, I think that's the presence of God. Something that, that I couldn't make happen, happened. What's really great about this is that I feel like I've been lifted into a place of neutrality, safe and protected. As long as I keep doing steps 10, 11, and 12, performing service, doing all the things that I was told to do when I first came into SA, go to meetings, sponsor, have a sponsor, make phone calls. I do all those things. But the difference is, is that I would say that the one thing that my A sponsor taught me more than anything else is he said, when in doubt, he said, he just goes to service, just goes to service. And uh, it makes for a much better life. I, I want to say this much before I close here. Coming to SA has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Working the steps and finding a real fellowship of the spirit has been where it's really at. I'm grateful to every single person on this call today. There's no one here in this call that is not part of each other's recovery. I remember that song by Lauren Theme. I don't know if you're familiar with that in every country, but she wrote the song. I love the theme. It's everything is everything. It's like God is everything. We are, we are so connected. I often am not aware of that. I'm aware of it right now. Well, got a few more minutes, but I don't know that I have much more to say. Let me see if there's anything in there. Hey, Jason, you have anything more to say? <laughs> it's a lot of work. If you're new to recovery, this is something I was just talking to a friend of mine in the program today. 
It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And the rewards are like, I go to work and I put in a certain amount of work. And then I look in my bank account and it's like filled way past my spiritual bank account gets filled way past anything that I could have contributed. So in a way, it's like it says in the 12 and 12, I've just, I'm just preparing myself by doing these steps and living in these principles. What are the principles? That's a good question. What are the principles? There's a lot of principles in, in, in the 12 steps. The first one is defeat. Step one, complete defeat. Accompanied with that is honesty, because it is not a dishonest thing to say that I can handle this. I got this. Honesty, open-minded willingness, love and tolerance. What I find about the principles is that on my own power, they just are a philosophy or a code of morals, and I can't live up to them. By tapping into this power, I'm slowly but surely being able to live on a spiritual basis. And the funny thing is, is that that's impossible. That's impossible for me. That's not humanly possible for me to do that without power. Lack of power has been and will always be my dilemma. I've got to find a power to live. And I don't know any other way to do that, but by going through these steps and sharing honestly. But it's really worth it. Anyway, that's enough. Um, let me see if I have a, some great closing thought for you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. I'll close with that. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Amazing. Thank you, Jason. Hey, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. I don't know why I was so nervous. <laughs> Restless, irritable, discontented. <laughs> Hey, I uh, just wanted to say, Jason, I thought it was a fabulous share. It's a thing that I have experienced. And uh, for me, I like to say that spirituality is an evolution rather than a revolution. And that evolution is continuing now after, what, 35 years and I think uh, it's a fabulous way to look at it. You also said uh, something, I said go to maybe 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, and I don't know if this is applicable to anybody today with Zoom, but back when I started, there was only one meeting a week in Nashville. And uh, people went to open AA meetings. And I'll tell you, there is a different flavor of recovery and AA and SA. And I think combining the two was very helpful. So uh, just as a, okay. uh, I think. So that's all. Thank you, Yakov. Thank you, Lee. Yeah. Thank um, you. When I came in in 96, um, there I live in San Diego then. I still do. And uh, fortunately, by that time, there were meetings if I was willing to travel, there were meetings all over San Diego County. And uh, so I went to a meeting every day for about 90 days. And uh, you're right. The AA meetings are different in some ways. It's the same solution. 
it just has a different feel to it. I, I can't, when I'm in an AA meeting, I think, oh, these are the best. When I'm in a good AA meeting. And then I go to an essay meeting, a good essay meeting. Oh, these are the best. And it just shows you that it's wherever you are is the best. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lee. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you very much for your share. I'm glad you're here. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Nancy, please. Yeah. Hi, I'm Nancy Sexaholic. Thank you so much, Jason. And thank hey, you being, for, for being willing to kind of jump around your schedule and fill in where there was a need. I loved what you said about spirituality, that it doesn't have to be this sudden uh, light experience. For the last number of years, I have not felt that, which is about feelings. And I've wondered, you know, what's going on? But when you mentioned not having that restless, irritable, and discontent, or more important than that, I don't have the ability not to lust, but not lusting. Wow, that's like, yeah, there, there is that God thing going on. I wonder, this is a little bit off topic, but you mentioned it earlier, um, progressive victory over lust. Can you talk about what that looks like in your life? Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> well, actually, um, it's interesting because just coincidentally, if I'm not mistaken, today's uh, The Real Connection had a pretty good description. Is that there? No, 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 no. I was in another meeting earlier today, and we were reading uh, The Real Connection uh, the idol- covetousness, the idolatry connection. And then there he talks about like just being hooked by someone's smile or just something. I mean, I think progressive victory over less to me looks like becoming increasingly aware that what I'm experiencing for me is lust. And then taking it right to step 10. And if you're new to this, and this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I'm sorry. But step 10 is where I identify something where I'm watching and I say, oh, I'm, I'm, this is lust. Don't call it anything else if it's lust. Immediately ask God to remove it because I can't. Discuss it with somebody immediately, make an amends quickly, and then turn my attention to someone I can help, my thoughts to someone I can help. Progressive victory over lust may include not experiencing lusting as often. During the day, like, and when I first came in here, I, if I was like, if I was like one of those sponges that they use to wash cars with, those big sponges that they put in the in the water and pull it out, and it's just dripping. That was like just lust, just dripping off. It was just insane, and it's like now the sponge is pretty dried out that way, or it's filled up with with a better a better substance, a substance of recovery. Um, so there's less often less. Less getting taken for a ride by it, being being quicker to spot it and and release it. Obviously, it's things like not looking at porn, being aware of when images are coming on and on, on a media that I'm watching, and uh, turning away from them. And what I found is that when I'm watching something that I need to not look at, and I'm not, 
different people have different approaches to how they use the media. I'm just going to share what, what works for me is I just, I literally turn my head, close my eyes. And I start asking, I just start praying. And I just wait for that scene to be over and then I can go back to whatever else is going on. Because usually it's not a highly less, I wouldn't watch a highly less driven thing. Yeah, that's all I got. That's what's coming up. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for asking me too. Yeah, thank you. Very happy to be here. Especially now that it's over, huh? (laughs) 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 No, actually, once I got into the flow, it was like, this is cool. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Great. Okay, we have Greg on the list. Please, Greg. My name's Greg. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Thank you, Jason, so much for your presentation. Uh, Yeah, it... Of course, what the first thing that came to my mind was the ninth step promises when you talked about all this and uh, about what they uh, promise, and they are promises. So I, I, that's my promise. They promise to me that I will get rid of the irritability and everything if I, if uh, they always materialize if we work for them. And I, I really appreciated what you said about that. But it is progressive victory. And like somebody shared a couple of weeks ago that it's not victory, it's progressive victory over lust. And so I also appreciated that. Uh, another thing, spirituality, is, like you said, is a, a process. And, you know, when it does pop its ugly head up to me and uh, I catch myself lusting, I talk to my, uh, one Hi. of the things I do is talk to my uh, sponsor about it and i love my sponsor because he he always uses the term god with skin on and indeed he i i truly believe that god works through him and that uh you know uh it, and i sometimes when i get into these situations uh i surrender it to god and it doesn't work and i surrender it to god and it doesn't work and then I sur- I can surrender it to him and talk to him and bring it out in a meeting. And that is really powerful when I do that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thanks again for your, uh, for your, and I'm glad your presentation was recorded too, Jason. So we can thanks, share it at a meeting too. Thanks again. Yes. Along the line, along the lines of what you were just saying, I'll, I'll tell on myself here a little bit. When I woke up this morning, um, I was met with dread with dread about speaking here today. It was like, oh my God. And uh, yeah, I, I found that it really helped me. I called someone in the program who I have a lot of respect for, and he and I spoke about it and uh, really helped a lot. And one of the things he said was just share, just share, share your experience, strength and hope. So don't share your opinions and your, your great knowledge of the big book or any of that stuff. Just, so it helped. It helps a lot. Yeah. Oh, one other thought, Nancy, about progressive victory over lust. One thing that occurred to me a while back, and I, it just didn't fan on me real quickly there at first when you're asking the question is, to me, progressive victory over lust means progressive reliance on the power of God. Progressive God is, is what does it. So as I'm developing progressive reliance on God, a lot of the flaws start shifting around in me in some way that's rather miraculous. So. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. 
Then we have Margot. Hi, I'm Margot and I'm a sexaholic. And thank you so much, Jason, for your talk. It was just so meaningful to me. And I identified with one, th the, I came to about eight years of sobriety and I just felt like I had hit a wall, like I had never met a 12-step program. And um, <clears throat> that's when I started doing the steps and it really helped. And I didn't, I've done them out of the big book a couple of times. But I still think there's something missing for me at some, around steps one, two, and three. And I wondered if you know, or if you could tell Nancy, or if you know of a woman, maybe an AA woman, who could uh, sponsor me the way you were sponsored by your person in Memphis. And if you don't, I mean, I'm just asking. I feel like I want yep. more. I can send that contact information to Nancy and she can pass it on to you. I'd be happy to. There's a woman here in San Diego. I, I don't know her availability. Everybody in the world asks her to be her sponsor. Yeah. But uh, she's um, she's the woman who is leading the, the, the big book study. It was funny because actually I asked her to sponsor you. And uh, she said, let me pray about it. And then I talked to my wife about it. My wife said, what? You're a sexaholic. You really think you can be... You, she, she was like, I'm not comfortable with you being sponsored by a woman. And so I told her, her name is Helen. And I said, hey, Helen, yeah, better not to. And I said, do you know someone else? And so she said, yeah, let me check. And she checked with her sponsor. His name is Michael. And next thing I know, I'm talking to Michael. And the first question he asks me is, have you surrendered? And it was like, wow. I said, it took me about 15 seconds. I just stood in this pause and I I literally went, <sighs> not really. It was a damn good thing that that's what my answer was to him, that I told the truth. And I didn't even know it was, I didn't even know that was true. That's funny how a question can be asked and all of a sudden you're up, you're bumped up against reality. It's like, no. <sighs> I've been surrendering, but I haven't been surrendered. And there's a difference. So I think this process is to take me from surrendering to being surrendered. Again, it doesn't mean quit surrendering. Yeah. But just to recognize that my surrender has no authority over my obsession of mind at all. Unless my surrender is to God. Yeah. And even then. Anyway, I hope that helps. Thank you for your comments. And yeah, um, let me just, well, the next question is coming up. I'll just get that information shared on the phone here. Thank you. Yep. Nancy, if I just hit share contact, can you pick that up? Can you get it just from that? Sure. Thank you. Yeah, this is an iPhone. Do you have an iPhone by chance? Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay cool. Put a plug for Apple there. <laughs> okay, from now on, uh, people were with less than 30 days of sobriety also can share. Okay, um, Claudia, you had your hands up. Do you still want to share? Thank you, Mohan. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Jason. Hey, Claudia. 
Thank you for your share. Thank you. It was, yeah, it was right out of my heart <laughs> and my soul. Uh, this is also really my experience, what you shared, and I'm so grateful uh, that I could hear it from another person that <laughs> I can do nothing out of myself. <laughs> it's, it's all by the grace of God. And this took me a long time, and it's still <laughs> going on, to... <clears throat> to get to, to know this or to be aware of this. And it's always when I'm being with someone else and talking about it. Before this meeting, I had a talk to my sponsor in, in another program, and we talked about spiritual experience and awakening. And we, yes, and, and I told her what you told us now. And I feel it really that... I'm so powerless as long as um, I'm from Germany and my English is really not good. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 by the grace of God, I ca I'm sober since many 24 hours. And right now, more Kinda. and more, thank you. I, I re recognize that I'm powerless. I'm completely powerless over everything. And I can only live through the, through the power of my higher power. And this is such a gift to, to get to know this. And I want to ask you, you said, uh, what does it mean for you to live on a daily basis on spiritual principles? Or I don't know if you said it this way, but living on on this base. Thank you. Thanks, Claudia. So you were asking, what does it mean to live on, on spiritual on the basis of spiritual principles? Yes, what does it mean for you? What is it what how does uh -huh. it look like practical on on your daily mm -hmm. basis? How does mm -hmm. it look like? Well I'm retired and I live here with my wife and uh the way I notice it is that we're having less and less collisions with each other. More and more, um, you know, love and tolerance and respect of each other. I mean, that's really what I'm seeing more than anything else is a capacity, not of my own power, but a capacity to, um, I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. I'm, I'm even more than that. I'm self-absorbed. I am all I can think about. Really, in an unrecovered state, that's all I have going for me. And I'm starting to be able to listen to her. Roy talks about this with his wife, that it took him a long time to reach the point where he could start to see her as her own person, with her own interests, not an appendage or someone out in the outer, in the outer atmosphere. And, you know... Um, I'm, I'm being given a gift of starting to be able to pay attention to other people. I don't know if they have ADHD or just that self-absorption. I don't know what the difference is, but I know that 
it's major for me to actually hear an entire share that anyone gives. I'm, I'm talking about three-minute shares, not 25-minute shares. So I remember I heard a guy once in SA. He was the speaker like Sunday afternoon, the end of a conference, I think. And he gave this share that at the time seemed like just, what the hell is that? But now I look at it and go, wow, that is amazing. And he said that whenever he's doing anything at work or at home or whatever, unless the task that he's on must be like completed, it can't stand, it just can't have, be an interruption right now. That if someone wants to talk to him, he puts down what, the things that he has in his hands, sits down and talks with them until they're finished talking. Just becoming available. Because I've never been available. Mm -hmm. mm. Work in progress, by the way, I'll tell you that. Ask my wife, for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Having uh, an open mind developing mm -hmm. about everything without being gullible. Not, not being gullible and just saying, oh, yeah, whatever you say is right, but actually having an open mind. Mm -hmm. More importantly, open heart. I think my heart is starting to crack open a little bit. Mm -hmm. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mm -hmm. Claudia. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jason. Luke, please. Hi, Jason. This is Luke. Thank you. Hello. Good to see you again. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I was thinking while you were sharing, and I, I don't have it very clear. So I know that the literature says that we need a psychic change, but it sounds to me that it can be abused in a way like, oh, I have the, the psychic change now, and I can't last anymore. It's like I'm cured now. So. Hmm. While I think that the psychic change for me is that instead of taking refuge to lust, I immediately take refuge to, I reach out to my higher power and I keep working my program one day at a time as if my life depends on it. Although I'm not so afraid anymore as some years ago, it becomes a bit more, or it has become more, Stable. I still have a fear, but not excessive. Um, and I think it's God protecting me every day. It's his shield protecting me. And because if I would Hi. say, I have, I have, yeah, thank you. If I would say, oh, I have a psychic change. My psyche is now changed. And I don't know. The psychic change can also be unchanged if I don't keep working the program. So. I don't get it anymore. How do you see that? I don't know if, if I made if I made sense of it in any way. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's like talking about humility. Uh, I don't know. And I start talking about humility, you probably don't have it. Yeah. Someone asked my AA sponsor a question. I think is germane to this. I think. And someone asked them. They said, "Can you be recovered?" and then lose it. And he said, yes, you can. He said, all you have to do is start living a selfish life. That's all you gotta do. Me, me, me. 
And it'll just, all of a sudden, people will be saying, gee, what happened to Jason? It seemed like he had a pretty good program going on there. What happened to that guy? Yeah. You know, it says there, uh, this is something I was talking with my friend earlier this morning. We were talking about this. Uh, there's only one place in the book where it says easy. And it said it's easy to let up on the spiritual action, <laughs> spiritual program of action. Oh. That's it. That's the only place this gets easy. Yeah, thank you. I heard somebody say in a meeting some time ago, addicts, um, addicts keep doing what's not good for them, and they keep stopping what's good for them. Yeah. I keep stopping the whole time the things which are which are really good for me. So I really have to remind myself the whole time that I need to keep meditating or whatever. It's so easy to slow down. Thank you. There's also a movement away as this progresses, I believe, when it becomes less and less about, oh my God, I got to do this stuff to stay sober so I don't die. And it's like, I get to do this stuff and live. I get to have a, a way of life that actually is quite satisfying. Because when I'm doing it, then I'm happy and I'm useful and I feel safe and protected. So, you know, there's the carrot and the stick and the, the stick only goes so far, man. I need some carrot. I need to realize that I'm being offered an opportunity to live a life worth living. And you know what? Before recovery, one worth living. Except... It was preparing me for this, so it was worth living. And that's the, that's the weird thing about it. Nothing gets wasted. There's no wasted resources, no wasted materials, no wasted experiences. I don't see any other hands up. What, how does this meeting go? Do you end it now? or? Yes, we are almost finished. But we have um, Yaakov as the last person who wants to share. Yeah. And we have time afterwards to talk a little bit more. Okay, yeah. Because I'd really like to address Jeremy if he's still here, the newcomer. Yeah. He, he okay. left the meeting, but he, he left his email address in the, in the chat box. Oh, okay. I will, I will post it again. Okay, thanks. Jakob? Okay. Jakob, please. Hi, so my name is Jakob, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, the truth hey. is I picked up my hands and I took it down again and then I picked it up again and then I took it down again. And when you said that no hand is up, I was like, all right, God, let's just say it. Uh, so I'm very happy for that. Um, so in my experience, I had days where I felt like lust left me. Like I, I'm not sober for that long, a bit over a year. Um, and I really had these days where I, I felt like I can be anywhere at any time and stuff are going to be just okay. And uh, today, um, in the last three days, um, I'm in the army. I, was, I wasn't like in anywhere that had a connection. I was out in the field. And um, I just knew that stuff will be fine. And I had a great time, just me, my, my higher power, and my time's over. And uh, the studying the books. But today I noticed that I'm missing the program and that suddenly um, lust irritates me a lot more. And today I wrote down every time I had a fantasy today, even if it was one second, 
I think I got to like 35 or 40 fantasies today um, and checking looks and whatever. So I wanted to know, um, the feeling of obsession leaving you, how does it, how do you see it during your day? And does it, how much does it have to do with the daily actions? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jakob. That's a deeper question. That's a deep question. The, um, the obsession of the mind, again, is not something that's in awareness. You know, it's like, I, I can't chase it away. I can't make it be gone. You know, it, it says in the 12 and 12, it says, the steps are a, a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which it practices a way of life, can expel the obsession and enable the sufferer to live happily and usefully whole. And it's like, that is... That's a really critical idea for me to realize that the obsession literally needs to be expelled from me. And I can't make it happen. I can't even see that it's there. An obsession in the mind might be something as simple as, um, like I'm alcoholic, and I'll just think, it would be not, it would just come in as a thought, a thought coming in from the obsession, not, not my thought, not my thought, a thought coming in from the obsession that says, you know, it would be nice to have a glass of wine with my wife over dinner. It doesn't say, hey, let's go get drunk. It says it would be nice. Or sometimes it's just the glass of wine is in your hand and you don't even know how it got there. It's the same. It's even more so with lust. How did it get here? Obsession of the mind uh, is not something I can deal with in tremendous depth here today except that it's, it's God's work to remove it. It's my work to, to take the steps to enable the things that are blocking me from the power to get out of the way so that God can remove it for me. Resentment, fear, my conduct all need to change. I don't know if that helps or not, but that's a start. Yeah. I'm glad you raised your hand again. Okay. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you uh, very much again, Jason. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.